You're listening to The Spiritual Awakening Show. I'm your host, Brent Spirit, and today we're going to look at the topic of Kundalini and Samadhi. This is part 18 of the ongoing Kundalini Awakening series. Samadhi is a Sanskrit term referring to a state of meditation. It can be translated to something like absorption in consciousness. Samadhi is what we begin to access at the more advanced stages of the spiritual process. Now, there are various levels of Samadhi, and today we're going to unpack them. If you haven't already, I invite you to check out my YouTube channel called Brent Spirit. This episode in particular is a good one to check out on video because I've got some useful diagrams that go along with my overview of the levels of Samadhi. You can also see those diagrams on my website at Brent Spirit on my blog. And if you're not able to check out my YouTube channel or the blog, no worries. I think you'll be able to follow along and get some value out of this episode nonetheless. If you have any questions about your spiritual awakening process or your kundalini journey, you can reach me at info at brentspirit.com. I will do my best to get back to you with a response. Or if you'd like to meet with me one-on-one over a video call or an audio call, you can find out more at brentspirit.com as well. Looking forward to connecting with you all. Thanks so much. Enjoy the episode. stuff especially this topic is very difficult to speak about uh, at all to begin with uh, because it's very nuanced there are many subtleties and we're referring to states of consciousness in which the mind the intellectual mind can sometimes fall away completely so it's very difficult to speak about things using the intellect using the using the intellectual mind when the mind isn't even present there to process these experiences okay so before i jump into this breakdown of the different stages of samadhi i just want to preface this talk by saying that i'm speaking from direct experience of all of these states of consciousness that i'm going to be describing today except for the final one which is of course maha samadhi which is the great samadhi that we get access to once you've attained the other uh, prior levels of samadhi and then when we die, when we drop the body. So Maha Samadhi is what's experienced when we die. Not maybe, maybe not everybody dies, but when a person who has access to the other lower levels of Samadhi dies, then they have access to Maha Samadhi, right? So you may have heard, sometimes we describe a great master's death. We say, they attained Maha Samadhi last week. It's another way of saying that they died, Okay. Course, we get into semantics here. We can say, oh, they never died because they were never this body, who they are is eternal, immortal, etc. And that's all true. But uh, just wanted to throw that in there for you. So, what I'm speaking about today here is truly beyond words. Words are limiting, they're awkward, they're clunky. Um, the words that I'm using today, they may not be consistent with the words that others have used. And I apologize for that in advance. I'm doing my best here to explain some things that are truly inexplicable, okay? So I apologize in advance as well if my tone comes across as a little arrogant. I want to speak about this with authority because so few have really talked about this at all. There are many who talk about it with a, an approach of speculation because they haven't directly experienced it, but I'm, I have, and so that's why I'm speaking this way about it. I want to share a clear description and that's why I'm going to be sharing a little bit of uh, 
some, some simple diagrams, but I think they're going to help to make this make a little bit more sense because there's not a lot of information about this, okay? So with that said, please be mindful that if you do decide to offer any critique or to challenge what I'm saying in the comments or send me an email, uh, you're welcome to, but I would prefer it if you're going to speak from direct personal experience rather than relying on something that you read or something that you heard from someone else, okay? So there's many scholars of spirituality that don't have their own personal experience of spirituality. And to be honest, I'm a busy guy. I'm not too interested in arguing with people like that, okay? So with all of that said, these topics, when we talk about samadhi, it's a topic that's rarely spoken about. And there's a few reasons for this. So firstly, way back, many people couldn't read or write, okay? So these teachings were shared orally. For example, the Yoga Sutras by Patanjali, they were very short verses, and they were meant to be expanded upon in person orally by a teacher who had attained uh, those higher levels of yoga, self-realization, and they would share that with their students, orally, right? So they would expand on those very simple short lines. So that's why today there's not much writing about these things, right? We can't go back and find very, very detailed descriptions. And it's not because there weren't detailed descriptions, it's because it wasn't written down, right? And so the other reason for why there's not too much information about this, and for why there's many who speculate about it per se, is because we're talking about advanced stages of the spiritual awakening, self-realization process. So very few people actually attain these states in the first place, okay? And then out of those people who attain those states, very few actually go on to express it, talk about it, write about it, share, okay? So that's why some of these topics are challenging to understand. Um, you know, you mentioned some of these words and people think that you're speaking a completely different language. Like, yes, we are speaking Sanskrit. Um, and the reason that there isn't many English words to describe this because there aren't many Sanskrit words to describe this phenomena, at least in writing, at least in, in text, right? So we have to remember that a lot of the, the yogic system, not all, a lot of it, I think maybe all of it, is, comes from Sanskrit. And people are still unpacking that. So it, translating it over into English is still something that we're, we're quite far behind. Even the word meditation, it's, it's not a very good word to describe what this process really is, right? Meditation maybe was the best word that people had at the time. But if you think about it, meditation refers to contemplating a topic at times, right? We say, oh, I was meditating upon this thing and I thought, oh, this is a great idea. But then when we look at the practices of meditation, of spiritual practices from the East, they don't look like what we would describe as meditation today. So these are words that we've used to sort of try and express these complex ideas. Oftentimes, people who have sort of been at the forefront of laying down the foundation of language and translation weren't people who actually experienced these things for themselves. So that's what I mean when I say that words are clunky, they're awkward, they're limiting, and I don't think that we should get too caught up with the words. Like they say in Zen, Words are just a finger pointing to the moon. Don't get caught up with the finger. Look at the moon and all that sort of cliche stuff. Okay. So samadhi is sometimes shared as the end goal of the yoga process. 
And if we look at Patanjali's Yoga Sutras, it's the eighth limb of yoga, the eighth limb, the final limb, samadhi. Now, the way that samadhi is sometimes described in yoga studios in the West, it's a bit off. And if you've been listening to my, my other work, you know that I sometimes critique the, uh, the Western approach to yoga. Um, and, and in some of these yoga studios, they describe samadhi as this very really lofty, mystical, mysterious goal. It's talked about as if it's something that will take many, many reincarnations to, intain, to attain. It's sometimes talked about as if, it's sometimes talked about in the same way that Christians might speak about, oh, when you die, you'll go to heaven. It's this very, very far out, lofty thing, sort of out of reach. And it's presented as something rather unattainable in this lifetime. It's presented as this very, very mystical, mysterious thing. Sometimes people in these yoga studios, they're teachers who haven't experienced it. And so they speak about it as if it's this very, very esoteric idea, right? And then they go and say, okay, so that's the goal of yoga, samadhi, but we're going to focus on asana, which originally means seat, how you sit in meditation. But we're going to focus on asana. We're going to do downward dog. We're going to do some arm balances. We're going to work on our, our headstand. And people put their attention there. And nobody really focuses on actually attaining samadhi, these advanced states of meditation, of, of absorption and consciousness. But after my long-winded rant, I have to say that in reality, there are different levels of samadhi. And with proper meditation practice, if you're not completely traumatized and your nervous system is in a total, you know, total wreck, you're not totally jacked up, it's very possible to experience samadhi in this lifetime within about a year or so of dedicated, consistent, proper meditation practice, maybe even less, okay? So personally, I first entered into the first level of samadhi, which is called Savakalpa Samadhi on I think the fifth or sixth day of meditating at a 10-day Vipassana retreat. This was about 10 years ago. So prior to that, I couldn't sit in meditation for more than five minutes, okay? So yes, I have been working on this for many lifetimes, but I'm willing to bet that if you're listening to this talk, you likely have been too. And you can access these states of samadhi with dedicated practice in this lifetime very soon. So. Don't buy into any ideas or, or or believe anybody who implies that it's this very, very far off lofty goal. It's very reasonable to attain at least the earlier stages of samadhi rather soon, especially if you're, you know, listening to this series, you're, you're, you're aware and mindful of, of kundalini as being uh, a, a real force, a real phenomena that will support you on your journey, right? So samadhi involves the entire system, chakra to chakra the full nervous system, like I said. And it's a meditative state that's not just limited to the head, okay? So sometimes people think of meditation as this sort of mind practice, this concentration practice that occurs only in the head. It's like you're using your brain, you're using your mind. It's a very psychological process. And of course, it is a psychological process. It does involve the mind, it does involve the head, but it's not only involving up, up in the head. It involves the entire body. It involves the full nervous system. Right? And we can see this very, very simply when you meditate, you begin to relax, your breath slows down, your heart rate slows down, your muscles relax. This clearly shows it's to do with the full body. It's not just something up in the head. Okay, So 
Of course, we know that Kundalini Shakti awakening is a full body process. It's a process that involves the full entire system, head to toe. Okay, So when Kundalini begins to move through your system, it can begin to direct or lead you into meditation. So this can happen spontaneously without effort. You can enter into meditation. You'll be drawn into meditation by the Kundalini, by the intelligence of Shakti within you. And these experiences will be somewhat easy and they'll feel as if they're happening automatically, happening spontaneously, happening naturally, organically, because they are. So you can think of it as if you're no longer meditating, but instead you are being meditated on by the divine. You are being meditated. You're being meditated. Your body is being meditated. The divine is performing meditation upon you on its own, on its own agenda. Okay. And this is not so far-fetched because the intelligence of the Shakti, the intelligence of the, of the body, it knows what to do. Just like how it knows how to grow your hair, it knows how to digest your food, heal your cuts, put you through puberty. It knows also how to meditate you. Okay, So if you're able to surrender to that, surrender to the Shakti, surrender to the intelligence, then meditation can just happen spontaneously and you'll be drawn towards deeper and deeper states of Samadhi. So equally so, this intelligence, the Shakti, can also draw you out of meditation and back into the world as well. So once this begins happening, you no longer need to be very rigid and disciplined with your practice. Okay, So you can just be open to when the body wants to meditate upon you and you allow that to happen. Sorry, not the bot when not when the body wants to meditate upon you, but when the Shakti wants to meditate upon you, you allow that to happen. You let it saturate your full body. And then when it wants you to get out of the meditation, it will kind of jolt you and jerk you and you'll come out of meditation and you'll know, okay, now it's back for me to now it's time for me to return back into the world. So these ideas of setting a timer and meditating at the same time every day very useful for certain people at certain times but once you begin to feel this intelligence moving through you you can let a little bit of your disciplined routine go okay so eventually kundalini shakti will lead us into the final stage of samadhi which is called sahaja samadhi but before we can get there we have to understand a little bit about the earlier stages so i've put together some diagrams to help me explain a little bit. Now, I just want to correct myself. There's a very subtle point I just want to make. So I just said that before we can attain Sahaja Samadhi, we have to understand a little bit about the earlier stages of Samadhi. That's not true. We don't have to understand any of this, right? Like I said, the intelligence of the body knows what to do. It doesn't require that you have an intellectual understanding in the same way that when you were a child, and you were becoming an adolescent, going through puberty, you didn't know anything about hormones and about all this kind of stuff, about the pituitary gland and whatever, but your body just started doing it and it probably did a really good job of putting you through puberty. Same way your body probably does a really good job of digesting you know, healthy foods that you eat. You don't need to know anything about these processes in order to be successful at it. In the same way, you don't need to know anything about these processes in order to attain Sahaja Samadhi. The body is naturally inclined to get there once kundalini becomes awakened but of course it is useful to understand on an intellectual level about what happens you know get a little bit of a roadmap for where you might be to maybe have a better understanding so that you can engage in certain practices certain attitudes certain approaches to facilitate your awakening journey okay so with all that said let's dive into these diagrams all right 
So here I have a very simple diagram which outlines the different states of consciousness. Um, for those listening on the podcast, the audio version, stay with me. I'm going to do my best to describe for you. But um, if there's something you don't understand or it sounds too complicated, I think you'll still get some value out of what I'm talking about today. But of course, if you like, check out the video or check out the blog post, prentspirit.com. So what I have here is a blue line horizontally stretched across the entire page. And on the far left of that line, I have ego consciousness, which is what I would say the first state of consciousness that we begin in as we walk the spiritual path. And then at the very end, I have nirvikalpa samadhi, which is one of the more advanced states of samadhi along the spiritual journey. Now, between nirvikalpa samadhi and ego consciousness, there are a few other states of consciousness. We have savakalpa samadhi, we have beginner's stillness meditation, and then we have active mindfulness practice as well. So today I'm going to just go over these to speak about them a little bit. So connecting each of the titles of the states of consciousness, I have a vertical line. And that vertical line, the length of that line, is going to represent the amount of consciousness, so the amount of awareness, the amount of presence, the amount of shakti that is present within this sort of state of consciousness, okay? So ego consciousness has a very limited amount of presence, of awareness. The, sh the line is very short. And not only is it short, it's also broken up with with um, um, ha uh, dashes. So it's a dotted line. So what this represents is that in the ego consciousness state, we are identified with the ego, with the body, with the mind, with the separate sense of self, with the little me, about 99% of the time. So we do may we, we may have occasional experiences of transcendence and detachment, which I've marked here with the, the, the dotted line. So that line isn't solid. There are maybe periods uh, which we experience a sort of peaceful meditative state even though we may be ego in ego consciousness this happens to everybody whether they have any spirituality spirituality any meditative practice or not you know if you engage in drug use if you um, experience some sort of very very traumatic experience uh, where you enter into a situation where you're required to be fully present um, maybe there's some sort of extreme sports that you do, sex. All of these things can create a state of consciousness where we actually experience something a little bit bigger than ourselves, bigger than our ego. We become very present. And that's why we are drawn to those experiences. That's why we really like those experiences. That's why we chase them is because they give us a taste of, of who we really are. They give us a taste of expanded consciousness. But for the most part, people are without any spiritual practice, without any meditation practice, Without awakening Kundalini, they're living in ego consciousness, okay? So these people, they believe themselves to be the body. They believe themselves to be the mind. It's very limiting. Um, they have little to no access to uh, expanded states of awareness, little to no access to mindfulness, um, to the witnessing mode in which we can witness ourselves almost like uh, a silent observer. And there's a strong sense of separation between oneself and the world within the ego consciousness state. So we feel that I'm here, the world is outside, there's no connection, there's no unity, there's no oneness, there's just separation. So that's the first level of consciousness. Now, as we move ahead, we begin to learn about mindfulness, and we might begin to practice it in an active way, okay? So with effort, we practice mindfulness throughout the day. And what that means is that we practice being 
a witness to the phenomena of our body, of our senses, of our thoughts, of our emotions. We practice being aware. We practice observing what is unfolding around us in our environment. It brings us into the present moment. And so the vertical line representing the degree of awareness, of presence, of consciousness, it's a little longer than in the ego consciousness state. But still, it's a dotted line. There are, um, is broken up intermittently because when we're practicing active mindfulness, we're not fully always 100% mindful. There are times where our thought may distract us or we may get caught up in an emotion in our body. We may get triggered. We may just forget that we're practicing mindfulness and get drawn back into the ego. And so that's why I've used a dotted line here to represent the intermittent uh, degree of spaciousness, the intermittent degree of awareness that we might be experiencing. So in this sort of mindfulness practice, we are drifting in and out of ego consciousness, and it's a practice. That's why we are engaging in it. We want to, to walk the razor's edge of mindfulness and practice being present, practice being the witness, practice being aware, practice being in our heart, and that sort of thing. So once we begin this, this is when the nervous system begins to be trained. It begins to be trained to relax. It begins to be trained to allow consciousness to permeate it to infuse it, to saturate it. But of course, this type of mindfulness practice, it requires ongoing effort. So without that effort, we return back to ego consciousness, okay? Next we have here, beginner's stillness meditation. So now we've moved out of the active mindfulness practice where we engage uh, in that throughout our waking life, throughout our waking day, when we're working, walking, talking, etc. Now we're practicing still meditation. So we're gonna sit, and meditate in stillness. So once again, this requires effort, okay? And we still practice being a witness to our body, to our mind, to the emotions arising within our system. We practice being conscious of our senses, conscious of any sounds in the room and that sort of thing. So as we begin to sit, we begin to access longer and longer periods of awareness. So we sit and it's actually, for some, it's actually easier to access uh, meditation in stillness as opposed to actively meditating uh, as they're working or, or walking or whatever. And that's because there's no distractions of the environment. We're just able to close our eyes and tune inside. And the nervous system begins to relax even deeper and becomes even more trained, more infused with the ability to let Shakti, let presence, let consciousness permeate it, infuse it. And so we have access to you know more and more of this expanding states of consciousness so once again though even in meditation here we begin to we're still we're still drifting in and out of ego consciousness okay so we can sit still in meditation eyes closed and we're meditating we feel present we feel spacious and then a thought may draw us back into the mind into the ego and so we're in and out of ego consciousness once again beginner stillness meditation it requires ongoing effort and so when we stop putting in the effort, we're likely to return back to ego consciousness. So it's once again, it's a practice. It's something ongoing that we have to keep visiting. Now, we can practice this type of beginner stillness meditation. And like I said, if you commit to it for maybe a year, maybe six months, but you really uh, dedicate yourself to this practice, you can begin to attain the first level of samadhi, which is savakalpa samadhi, Okay. And that's real samadhi. It's not, um, like I said, it's not this lofty mystical thing that you, you know you must work tens, tens of lifetimes for. It's something you can experience rather quickly with dedicated practice. Uh, 
So, Savakalpa Samadhi, let's talk about this. So, Savakalpa Samadhi, it's got a much longer vertical line, and that line is unbroken now, okay? So, that line, like I mentioned, represents the degree of presence that we have. So, it's not a dotted line, it's a solid vertical line. It's rather long compared to the other lines. So, in Savakalpa Samadhi, in order to access it, uh, effortful practices still required. We have to sit still in meditation and we become absorbed in consciousness, completely absorbed, head to toe, chakra to chakra. The entire nervous system is permeated with consciousness, with that, with that prana of shakti, with that energy, with awareness. Okay. So we can enter into a deep state of relaxation when we're in this state of Savakalpa Samadhi. And uh, this state, Savakalpa Samadhi, it's a temporary state of Samadhi. Okay. So sometimes Samadhi is shared, like for example, like I mentioned in yoga studios, they describe it as the eighth limb of yoga, the goal of yoga, and they make it seem as if once you attain Samadhi, you've reached a goal and it's permanent, it's lasting forever. But there are different degrees of Samadhi, and this one in particular is a temporary state. Now, before I continue, I just want to point out that I am referencing Patanjali and his yoga sutras, but he uses different terminology to describe the, the states of samadhi than what I'm using here. So I maybe it's not too fair to compare the two systems and, and, and critique those that use one system when I'm using the other system. But what I wanted to mention here before I keep going is that as you can notice here, the states of consciousness, the samadhis, they exist on a spectrum, okay? So in the big picture, it's all a blur. Things blend into each other. There are even more minor uh, distinctions between even more subtle stages of samadhi that I've left out here. Um, but once again, it's important to remember that this is a natural phenomena, a natural organic process, just like your body going through puberty, for example. It's only our intellectual mind that comes in to categorize these different samadhis, okay? So the intellectual mind comes in and says, okay, this is Savakapa Samadhi, this is Nirvakapa Samadhi, this is Sahaja Samadhi. But understand that it is a spectrum, okay? So it's not necessary for you to understand all the details of this. And that's why it's described differently. That's why Patanjali system might describe it differently than what I'm describing it. Um, the words that I'm using here, Savakalpa, Nirvakalpa, Sahaja Samadhi, these are very common in Advaita Vedanta. In particular, Ramana Maharshi has used these terms as well. And I like them because uh, it's the, they're the, the, the terms that I used when I was navigating these stages myself. So I resonate with them very deeply. Okay, so back to talking about Savakalpa Samadhi here. So within the Savakalpa Samadhi, the body is absorbed in consciousness, the nervous system is very relaxed, but there continues to be a degree of sensory awareness where we can hear, feel, smell, etc. So if the phone rings, you're going to be absorbed in consciousness, but you're going to be able to hear that the phone is ringing, okay? You're going to be able to smell something if your house catches on fire. You're going to be able to smell it. It's not like you're completely gone. You're still present in the body. Senses are still active. Okay. Um, the frequency of the arising of thoughts, it may decrease, but the thought stream can likely continue. So you'll still have thoughts present. But even though thoughts are present, 
you'll be able to rest in that awareness as your full body is saturated in consciousness. You may be able to also perceive that your mind is saturated in consciousness, that those thoughts are arising out of consciousness and they're returning back into consciousness. So you'll be able to experience um, um, still the human functioning, the human phenomena, the senses, the thoughts, etc. But you're in this higher state of meditative consciousness as well. Okay, so there is a sense of awareness and spaciousness around the ego, around the mind, around the sense of self. You recognize that there's a little bit more to you than just this body, just this mind, just the ego. There's spaciousness that contains you, that spaciousness that is um, inside of you, outside of you, all around, and that it is you as well. Okay, so the nervous system, the chakras, and the emotional trauma, conditioning, imprinting, wounds, pain, they begin to be healed and released once we enter into these more advanced stages of samadhi at a very, very high degree. So it's kind of like when you enter in samadhi, it's kind of like you're entering into an oven and having that oven burn up all of the impurities within your system, okay? So that, that shakti energy that has saturated your entire system is now moving through your system and it's it's metabolizing, it's digesting, it's purifying, it's burning up uh, some of the samskaras, some of the conditioning, some of the vasanas that are within the chakra system, okay? So that's what's happening when you go into samadhi. Samadhi is not necessarily an escape from the world, an escape from the body, escape from life. It's a healing mode in which we go into to heal so that we can more efficiently process and hold higher states of consciousness in which Shakti is moving through us, okay? It's kind of like a busy street. There's a lot of traffic and there are red lights stopping the traffic. It's stopping the flow. It's impeding the flow, okay? So when we go into Samadhi, we're turning those red lights, which are trauma, conditioning, pain, blockages. When we go into Samadhi, we are turning those red lights green so that the traffic can flow, Okay, so we're letting the energy move through our system, move through our chakras, move through the nadis within our nervous system and heal us so that we can allow that energy to flow more and more, the shakti to flow more and more. And then we can, of course, attain levels of consciousness in which we're able to radiate and abide as spacious awareness, abide as shakti, abide as the divine that we really are when we're not in seated meditation as well. Okay, so to attain Savakapa Samadhi, to go into it, it still requires ongoing effort, okay? So you have to put effort to stay in some Savakapa Samadhi. Once you drop the effort, you return back out of that meditation, you return back into ego consciousness. However, there is what we could call a fragrance or an imprint or some sort of residue of Samadhi that will stay with you for a bit of time after the meditation has ended. So it's kind of like when you wake up out of sleep, you're a little groggy still. In the same way, when you come out of samadhi, you're not sleeping and you're not meditating anymore, but there is still a bit of spaciousness, a bit of awareness, a bit of shakti that will follow you around a little bit. Eventually, though, you will return back into a more um, of a, an ego consciousness type of state. Okay, and that's why it's important that we keep practicing, we keep revisiting the meditations over and over again, keep purifying our system, keep purifying the nervous system, addressing the wounds, addressing the trauma, allowing the oven of samadhi to cook us, to bake us, to heal those impurities. So eventually we can walk around in the world in a state of sahaja samadhi, which I'm going to speak about in a little bit. But first we're going to talk about nervakalpa samadhi. Okay, so nervakalpa samadhi, 
Here we have an even longer vertical line representing the awareness. It's unbroken. It's um, a little longer than Savakalpa Samadhi. So Nirvikalpa Samadhi comes after Savakalpa Samadhi. So you probably, for the most part, maybe with the use of psychedelics and maybe if you put in a lot of work in a previous life, then you might be able to jump ahead to Nirvikalpa Samadhi and have a very profound experience there. But generally speaking, Savakalpa Samadhi is going to precede Nirvikalpa Samadhi, okay? So you're gonna, it's going to require effort to enter into Nirvikalpa Samadhi. Um, all of these meditative states of consciousness do. Um, and when I say effort, I mean it's not going to happen without effort in the same way that Sahaja Samadhi does, which I'll speak about as well. I know that I mentioned earlier that the Kundalini Shakti will begin to perform meditation upon you spontaneously. Um, yes, I would speak of that as a type of effort, but it's an effort that is being performed by Kundalini, not by you, but it is still effort. Okay, that's what I mean when I refer to effort. I know that some of this might not make any sense. Maybe I could explain it a little better, but if, if you don't follow, it's okay. Just just let it go. It's not a big deal. Okay, so Nirvikalpa Samadhi is uh, a temporary state, just like Savakalpa Samadhi. Once we go into it, we will come out of it and return back into you know a lower state of consciousness, like ego, ego consciousness. Um, just like Savakalpa Samadhi, Nirvikalpa Samadhi involves the nervous system being fully saturated in consciousness and Shakti. However, the difference between Nirvikalpa and Savakalpa is that within Nirvikalpa, sensory awareness ceases, as does any sense of the ego, the mind, the me, uh, any sense of the world, any sense of the body as well. As well, the thought stream will cease also. So there's complete and utter stillness. It's kind of like being in a very deep sleep, but not exactly, okay? So within Nirvikalpa Samadhi, the mind isn't even there to recognize and say, oh, I've entered into Nirvikalpa Samadhi. It's a very difficult thing to explain. It's kind of like you don't know that you fell asleep until you woke up out of sleep. In the same way, you're only able to recognize that you were in Nirvikalpa Samadhi when you come out of it and you have that imprint, that residue of Shakti and there has been a sort of lapse in your uh, recollection of thoughts, phenomena, experience of world for that period of time. So just like Savakalpa Samadhi, the nervous system, the chakras, the emotional imprints, the vasanas, the samskaras are burned up. They're healed at a very high degree within the oven of Samadhi. So Nirvikalpa Samadhi is a little bit more efficient at burning up and healing some of the things that we experience um, in our nervous system, in our chakras, but uh, it's not much, much more efficient than Savakalpa, I would say. And it's not necessary to think that, okay, if you have access to Nirvikalpa Samadhi, it's not necessary for you to always go into Nirvikalpa Samadhi, okay? Sometimes it's more ideal or preferred to stay in Savakalpa Samadhi and to stop yourself from going into Nirvikalpa Samadhi and the reason for that is when you come out of Nirvikalpa Samadhi, it is a little difficult to return immediately back into the world because you are very, very sort of peaceful, relaxed, spacious, very, very, um, you're not very grounded. And so it can take a little bit of time to return back to the world 
you know? So it's not like, you know, you're going to take a 20 minute break between work, go into Nirvikalpa Samadhi, then come out of Nirvikalpa Samadhi and jump right back into work. Of course, it depends on what your work is, but Nirvikalpa Samadhi is a little bit more of an extreme meditation that takes a little bit more time to uh, adjust back into the world after you've finished that meditation. And so for that reason, many meditators may prefer to go into Savakalpa Samadhi, work on uh, that sort of healing state, work within that state, and then return back in the world without having to, you know, spend an hour or two readjusting, landing, becoming grounded once again, okay? So within Nirvikalpa Samadhi, you may be wondering then, if you go into that and there's no sense of self, there's no sense of the world, the body, no thoughts, etc., how are you going to know how to come out of it? Can you get stuck in Nirvikalpa Samadhi? Well, the Shakti, the Kundalini, the intelligence of the body will just kick you out of Nirvikalpa Samadhi when, when that session is done. When it feels that you've had enough of that uh, absorption in consciousness and it's time for you to return back to the world, it will just kick you out and you'll feel a sort of jerk or a sort of uh, something will, will, will trigger you to come out of the meditation and it might be an external phenomena as well, you know, like the doorbell rings or something and you might be called back into the world in that way. So you don't have to worry about getting stuck in Nirvikalpa Samadhi. There are tales of some yogis going into states of Nirvikalpa Samadhi for, you know, months on end and that sort of thing, but nothing to fear. That's not necessarily going to happen to you because if it does, Kundalini Shakti will still take care of you, okay? It's not like she doesn't know everything about your life and, and, and the context and your responsibilities and everything, so it's nothing to worry about. Um, for those yogis who go into Nirvikalpa Samadhi for months, for example, a crowd forms around them and the crowd, you know, makes sure, makes sure that, you know, you know, nothing is going to go wrong. All the responsibilities are taken care of, you know, all that kind of stuff. So it's not like you're going to go into Nirvikalpa Samadhi in your room or, you know, up at your cottage all by yourself in isolation and get stuck and die or something. It's, it's not going to happen. You don't have to worry about that. Okay. So once you're finished with Nirvikalpa Samadhi, once you get kicked out of it uh, by the intelligence of your body, by Kundalini, you'll return back to ego consciousness and just like when you return out of Savakalpa Samadhi, you'll have a bit more spaciousness, a bit more presence, a bit more of that Shakti energy moving through your system, which will persist for a little bit. And eventually the momentum, the momentum of that will become depleted and you'll have to return back into practicing uh, meditation some more. Okay, so that's a little bit about Nirvikalpa Samadhi. Okay, so now we've seen here the full spectrum from left to right across this blue horizontal line, we have ego consciousness, active mindfulness practice, then beginner stillness meditation, then Savakalpa Samadhi, then Nirvikalpa Samadhi. Now, there is a higher state, final state called Sahaja Samadhi. So Sahaja Samadhi, for those listening on the podcast, I haven't included it on the horizontal spectrum. Instead, what I've done is if you zoom out of the horizontal line here, I have a full giant circle that encompasses that horizontal line. And all around that circle is Sahaja Samadhi. So if we see here, Sahaja Samadhi contains the full spectrum, the full spectrum of all of the different states of consciousness, from ego consciousness all the way up to Nirvikalpa Samadhi. Sahaja Samadhi contains everything, okay? So, 
Sahaja. Sahaj means natural, it means spontaneous. Sahaja Samadhi does not require effort. Okay, So you can't say, okay, I'm going to go into Sahaja Samadhi and I'm going to meditate myself into it. No effort, only spontaneously. Okay, It's just the natural state. And once it's attained, it doesn't go away. It's what you've attained as a result of practicing the, the lower levels of Samadhi, as a result of your Kundalini process, of reaching relative completion, as a result of your nervous system being cleared to the degree at which it can hold Shakti within it at length without having to, you know, revisit meditation, okay? So this is what Sahaja Samadhi is. It's very difficult to describe this in words. It's impossible to describe it in words. It's so far beyond words. Um, it can only be really experienced directly to fully understand what it is. Um, but of course, I'm here, I'm doing my best to try and describe it to give you an idea of what to look forward to. Or maybe you've actually attained Sahaja Samadhi, you just didn't even realize it. That can happen as well. It's so subtle that you might not even realize that you're in Sahaja Samadhi. So I want you to see here that the circle of Sahaja Samadhi contains the full spectrum, like I said. And it begins on the left, prior to ego consciousness. We're in, we're in Sahaja Samadhi. After Nirvikalpa Samadhi, we find ourselves in Sahaja Samadhi. So Sahaja Samadhi has been there the whole time. Right? It's been there the whole time. It's contained everything. So even when we're in ego consciousness, from the higher level, from the absolute perspective, Sahaja Samadhi has still been our natural state. It's very paradoxical. And this is what people mean when they say that you're already that. You're already God. Because you're already abiding in Sahaja Samadhi. You just don't know it because you're having the experience of somebody identified with ego consciousness that's going on a spiritual journey to practice the different stages of meditation to eventually remember who you really are and allow your nervous system to embody that, okay? So, you may understand this on an intellectual level, right? I've done my best to put together a diagram that is intellectually comprehensible. I hope that it is, at least. But, don't mistake intellectual understanding for the actual realization, right? Many people within non-duality can grasp these ideas and then walk around saying that, but their nervous system is telling a whole different story. The nervous system is still jacked up, it's still got wounds, still can't hold high degrees, high states of consciousness. There's no Shakti radiating through the system. There's no bliss. Sahaja Samadhi usually comes with a lot of bliss in the body as well. I don't mean happiness. I mean bliss, which is the body's um, physical response to Shakti flowing through it. There's bliss, okay? So Sahaja Samadhi does not require effort. Um, the nervous system in Sahaja Samadhi is able to hold Shakti or consciousness consistently due to most impurities or samskaras or vasanas being healed. Now, I say most because some impurities are going to remain just by virtue of being a human being, okay? There are certain psychological things, genetic things that we have just inherited from our ancestors, certain quirks, certain inconsequential vasanas and things like that that we don't necessarily need to heal in order to abide in Sahaja Samadhi. The Kundalini, the Shakti can flow around those impurities just fine and it can maintain a strong, consistent, uh, ongoing, perpetual flow of Shakti through the system despite these very inconsequential vasanas, for example. Um, for example, you may have a fear of heights. You don't need to 
clear your fear of heights in order to attain Sahaja Samadhi. Or you maybe have just have a fear of spiders. It's a healthy fear to have for some. You know, spiders kill people, they're poisonous, venomous, whatever. And so it's not like this is an egoistic, egotistical fear that you need to clear if you want to have Sahaja Samadhi. Some of these fears are natural, they're biological, they're part of being an animal, which we are, they're part of being a human being, which we are. Some of them are just cultural, cultural um uh, conditioning and these are inconsequential things that uh, aren't going to impede our access to ha Sahaja Samadhi but of course the more that we heal the more deeper we can go into Sahaja Samadhi and so once you attain a certain degree of Sahaja Samadhi that doesn't mean that you don't have to you know continue to meditate to allow even more healing to happen that doesn't mean that you don't have to uh, work on yourself you know self-love work on you know whatever Things might still trigger you at times. Um, it doesn't mean that you're not going to benefit from doing, you know, things like therapy or, or taking care of your body and that sort of thing. Sahaja Samadhi is the highest state of, of Samadhi for like a human being, but it's for a human being. And so human beings have imperfections, have flaws. We're works in progress. The, the journey continues, okay? So I don't want you to think that in Sahaja Samadhi, all the work is done, the work doesn't end, the evolution doesn't end, there is no limit to consciousness. Uh, divinity wants to continue to evolve, and so even though you attain Sahaja Samadhi, you're going to continue to grow, continue to develop, okay? So, um, within Sahaja Samadhi, like you see, it is a circle, it contains the full spectrum, and it contains all experiences of the world, of individuals, of people, okay? Everything, can, can, everything is contained within Sahaja Samadhi. Okay, all of life is arising out of Sahaja Samadhi and returning back into Sahaja Samadhi. Okay, so this includes thoughts, right? It's this includes being identified with the ego, ego consciousness. Okay, this includes emotions, even negative emotions, anger, rage, jealousy, fear. Sahaja Samadhi even contains the lower samadhis as well. Okay, it's very paradoxical to understand, and I want to just be mindful to remind you not to use the idea of Sahaja Samadhi as a way to spiritually bypass and say, oh, everything is contained in Sahaja Samadhi. I'm already in Sahaja Samadhi according to this diagram that Brent is sharing. Okay, so that means I don't have to, you know, worry about whether I'm hurting other people or hurting myself. I don't have to do any more healing work. I can just, you know, spiritually bypass all of that and just say, oh, I'm in Sahaja Samadhi. No, like I said, your body has to be able to access Sahaja Samadhi through practice through training the nervous system through healing the nervous system through healing the chakras healing the trauma healing the healing the wounds etc etc okay and that's a, a visceral physical experience in the body it's not just an intellectual understanding you know this is just this diagram here is just words it's just lines we want a visceral physical embodied experience of our spirituality not an intellectual one only okay so like i said it Sahaja Samadhi contains everything, it contains the ego, it contains emotions, and so that means that once you have attained Sahaja Samadhi, you still have full access to the human experience, which includes negative emotions, getting triggered. You know, somebody in your family dies, you're going to get sad. You're not going to say, oh, Sahaja Samadhi, everything is in Samadhi, I'm in Samadhi, they're in Samadhi, what's the point of crying and grieving, I shouldn't do that. We're going to have those experiences, okay? You have your heart broken, you're going to feel sad, okay? When you get sick, you're going to want to feel better. This is normal. This is n nothing to... Um, we don't want to misappropriate what what this really looks like, okay? And that's why I'm being very clear about um, how I'm describing it here because, like I said, some people attain this and they don't even realize that they've attained it. <laughs> um, 
And other people are, are thinking that, oh, I have to get to a point where I'll never feel grief. I'll never feel sadness. I'll never feel angry. I'll never feel any desire or, or long for some, something that I had in the past or long for something in the future. No, this is all part of being human. That stuff doesn't necessarily have to go away in order for you to attain the highest levels of the spiritual journey. Okay. So Sahaja Samadhi, this state persists without effort. It is the natural state, hence why it is all-encompassing. It doesn't require that you apply any effort. It's just what happens as a natural consequence of your nervous system uh, being acclimated to higher and higher amounts of Shakti consciousness flowing through it. Okay. So I will close with a brief discussion of Maha Samadhi. Okay. So Sahaja Samadhi is not Maha Samadhi. Maha means great. It is the great Samadhi. And that, like I mentioned in the beginning of our talk today, Maha Samadhi occurs when the body is dropped and a person dies. Okay. So Maha Samadhi implies a Samadhi that is at a higher level than Sahaja Samadhi. So what that means is any of the human relative impurities, imperfections, quirks, conditioning that remains as a result of just being a human being, only once we attain Maha Samadhi will that be dropped. Okay. So sometimes people walk the spiritual path, they practice yoga, they practice meditation, they have the aim of trying to attain a sort of Maha Samadhi-like state while being in the body as a human being. It is an unattainable goal. Just being a human being, you are bound to have conditioning, vasanas, trauma, etc. Okay? There are certain things that are going to persist in order to keep you human, in order to keep you relatable with other people, in order to keep you grounded, in order to provide context for your growth that will remain even once you attain Sahaja Samadhi. Okay? So, with that said, we have to be a little easy on ourselves. You know, We don't want to completely eradicate every single last human phenomena or human quality within our being in the name of attaining some sort of spiritual goal. That is not how it works. Um, that stuff will happen when you attain Maha Samadhi. Then you can drop the body and really be free from the imperfections of being a human being, the karma of being a human being. But while you're a human being, you're going to remain flawed to some degree, and that is okay. Um, the reasons that some may prefer a more perfect idea of what samadhi looks like, of what sahaja samadhi looks like, or what the end goal of the spiritual journey looks like for a human being, the reason that people want to make it perfect is because then it is a little bit less attainable, and that's the way that we self-sabotage. So if I told you that you can attain Sahaja Samadhi and still remain a little bit human, still have a little bit of work to do, still get triggered at times, now suddenly you're like, oh, okay, yeah, I could probably try and make this happen in my lifetime. But if I told you that Sahaja Samadhi or the end goal of the spiritual journey is when you're perfect, you'll never get triggered, you'll have no human imperfections, no human flaws whatsoever, you'll think, yeah, right, that's unattainable. Why even bother? Right? So that's how we sabotage ourselves. We don't even you know, try to attain these states because we think that they're so far out and unrealistic. We don't bother, but they're actually realistic. They are attainable if we recognize it and give it a try, commit to it, practice devotion, surrender to the process, and of course, rely on our kundalini to take us there. And the kundalini is trying to take us there. Like it's 
literally the entire universe is trying to help you to develop to develop and evolve and transform and bring you to these higher states of consciousness where you can embody shakti okay kundalini shakti wants to be embodied by you right so she's trying to take you to these places so be open-minded be easy on yourself know that they are attainable you don't have to be you know perfect um and and, and the same goes for when you look at teachers guides gurus people who have attained these higher states of consciousness you may look at them and you may say ah they're not they're not perfect so they're not uh they're not in sahaja samadhi they haven't reached relative completion or they haven't reached the advanced stages of this path you know that's not true okay that's not true it's just a way for us to hold these higher states away from ourselves by putting these very very high unrealistic expectations upon our teachers okay because if we allow the teacher to be human then that means we have to allow ourselves to be human and that means that we have to put in the work to actually attain these states okay so this is something to keep in mind as well nobody's perfect we're all human beings sahaja samadhi is a human experience that is ultimately indescribable you'll come to this point and you'll understand a little bit about it but even then it is still difficult to understand even once you're experiencing it directly it is something that must be just surrendered to just in the heart um, a great devotion arises a great surrender to the mystery of, of what all of this really is okay so i want to close with that point just to remind you that yeah the diagram i've done my best to be clear it's pretty cool i'm pretty happy with it but it is just all symbology it's all words it's not the actual experience of what we're talking about here when we're speaking about meditation, when we're speaking about samadhi. It has, to be, it has to be felt and experienced directly within your body. And I invite you to continue practicing and to you know, aim, aim for these very attainable states. It's not lofty. They're, they're, you have access to them. The universe wants you to experience them. So recognize that you are worthy of it and continue to travel on your journey. If you have any comments, feedback, questions about this, send me a line. You can reach me at brentspirit.com. I would love to hear from you. I'd love to hear if you have any experience with the more advanced stages of Samadhi yourself. Um, please be sure to check out my website for more free content like this. Check out the rest of the series, brentspirit.com. Like I mentioned, we have the podcast, the Spiritual Awakening Show. We've got the YouTube channel and we've got the blog as well. If you'd like to support me in this work and you feel called, you can make a donation. Uh, if you'd like to find out more about how to meet with me one-on-one -on -one to discuss your spiritual journey more in detail, you can do that and you can find out uh, all about how to connect with me at brentspirit.com. If you'd like to do something for me, if you feel that this has been valuable, just simply pass this along to a friend who you think might find it useful. That goes a very long way for me and I really, really appreciate all of your support, your comments, your feedback emails, comments, messages on Instagram. Oh, I love you all. Thank you so much for your attention. And I hope that I've done a very, very, very challenging topic. Samadhi, I hope I've done it justice today. Let me know what you think. And until next time, we'll chat soon. Peace.